0: Welcome to the Healthy Compulsive Project Podcast, where you can take a deep dive to explore the pitfalls and potential of the obsessive compulsive personality, offering hope and help for perfectionists, workaholics, micromanagers, type A personality, and control freaks. Who's in charge? You are your inflated rogue ego. You are not your ego no matter how big it's become. As psychologists use the term, your ego should simply be the part of you that serves an executive function. It deals with reality and gets stuff done. It should help you navigate the difficult waters of an often unfriendly world, but it should not be the one that decides where the ship is going. Too often, like a mutinous ship captain, the executive ego turns to the dark side and becomes an inflated rogue ego. It decides to go to Baltimore rather than the Bahamas. It takes command rather than taking orders. It's supposed to be a servant, not a master, and to represent the interest of the larger personality, not, like a jaded politician, its own interests. To expand on the sea captain metaphor, it should be taking directions from whoever owns the ship. That would be you, the bigger you, with all its different parts. Problem is, the inflated rogue ego may block the rest of you from making itself known. Self-esteem and the not-so-egotistical inflated rogue ego. Now, some of you may be thinking, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not egotistical. In fact, I have no ego. I suffer from VLSE, which is the acronym for very low self-esteem. Not to worry, you may still well meet the criteria for the condition I'm describing, inflated rogue ego syndrome, or I-R-E-S. This is not about conceit. It's not about feeling better than others. That's a common misunderstanding about the ego, which is supposed to be there just to help you execute what you want to do. Instead, in its never-ending quest for practicality and safety it makes you a human doing rather than a human being the executive ego versus the conceited ego but too often it does become about conceit though not the conceit you may be imagining you see the problem with an executive function that goes rogue is that it becomes too big and crowds out other parts of the personality even if it thinks it's the sorriest little ego in the world, the acronym for which is S-L-E-W, it still thinks it's the only part of you that's worth considering, the know-all and be-all, as proud of its accomplishments as a toddler is of his first poop in the can. It forgets that there's more to you than executive functioning, that you also have desires to play and rest and muse and celebrate and savor and love, To be rather than just do. As Carl Jung said in many different ways, we all walk in shoes too small for us. This ego becomes inflated when it feels like getting things done is all there is to us. We imagine, however unconsciously, that it will save us from our insecurity, so we turn over our power to it. We let it take the wheel of our ship to guide and supposedly protect us, when it would be better that it cleared a path for other parts of us, such as our poetry, connections with people, or passion for popular mechanics, all the things that give us a meaningful direction. To shift the metaphor slightly, it's as if the ego becomes a cancer. It thinks it's protecting you by proliferating, but it crowds out your essential functions instead. The Conscious Ego's Lack of Consciousness it believes that it knows how things should be and convinces itself that that is the right way. This is how overcontrol gets started. The overcontrolling ego likes to think that it operates based on correctness, when really it only evolved these ideas to handle such situations as overly demanding parents, unforgiving environments, and bullying adolescent peers. So horrified of their own inadequacies that they needed to push you down so they could get a leg up. Forgive the inflated rogue ego, for, ironically, it knows not what it does. I'm simplifying, of course. Reasonable adults could have a heated discussion as to whether what I'm describing as the ego is anatomically correct from a psychoanalytic point of view, or whether there's actually anything in the brain that we could point to as the ego. Go ahead and have that argument if you'd like. In fact, I'll join you when I take a different perspective in another post soon. But for now, my intention is to describe it from an experiential point of view, how it actually feels. And my point is that the I we usually identify with, the conscious ego, has lost the major point of the activity, which would be living life, not merely surviving it. To make the most of this post, notice as you read if you can feel the control and presence of an inflated rogue ego. The healthy ego. But before I continue to put the ego in its place, I should really give it its due. The ego, in its healthy form, serves a necessary function, and we couldn't get by without it. The executive ego that I'm referring to helps you distinguish between fantasy and reality and helps you to act in accordance with that reality. When functioning well, it doesn't use denial or avoidance when things get scary. It helps you to tolerate frustration and distress, delay gratification, restrain overly selfish desires, and manage internal conflicts well enough so that you don't go apoplectic when the waiter brings ceviche instead of cerveza. It gets you to pay your taxes, shovel snow, and brush your teeth no matter how boring those things are. It will get you a car, put gas in the tank, and drive within the lines. But it has no idea where to drive or what it's driving for. It's kind of a bummer, but the reality is that we have to spend a couple of decades building up an ego, only to have it trim it down to size eventually. The unhealthy, obsessive-compulsive ego. The inflated, rogue ego is the embodiment of the unhealthy, obsessive-compulsive personality. The compulsive part fights for order, even when it's not necessary. The obsessive part likes to think, and it likes to think that life is all about control. The emotions that it values most are those of mastery and righteous anger not so much peace love and that feeling you get when you savor a piece of finely crafted caramel chocolate truffle gratification is allocated strictly on a morals and merit-based system like any dictator the unhealthy ego convinces you that it can solve all of your problems if you hand things over to them And then it conveniently forgets that it said it was going to serve. Typically, in the case of those with obsessive compulsive personality, it says that it can save you by fixing that disturbing doubt about whether you're good, morally good. It says, just let me run your life with discipline, planning, and perfectionism, and all will be well. Instead of serving you, it demands that you serve it. It promises protection, but delivers depression. Hubris, Dionysus, and my big fat Greek wedding. The ancient Greeks were warned against the dangers of hubris, seeing themselves as the center of the world rather than acknowledging the role of the gods. The gods symbolize different aspects of the personality, archetypal forces that are always present and always influential. Whether that influence is conscious and intentional is partly determined by whether the ego allows you to be aware of it. In its hubris, the ego denies the relevance of parts such as the explorer, the hedonist, the romantic, the innocent, the jester, and the trickster. Will these forces be shadowy and rebellious or consciously integrated? Just ask King Lycurgus, whose inflated rogue ego imprisoned Dionysius and his followers instead of joining in their celebrations. Dionysius is the god of merriment, wine, theater, and ecstasy, and man did he show King Lycurgus a thing or two. Lycurgus's kingdom stopped bearing fruit after imprisoning them. He became mad and killed his own son. Afterward, his madness ceased, but his country remained barren. Dionysius said it would remain so until the king died. His people, in despair, put Lycurgus in chains, and Dionysius had him torn to pieces by horses. To translate this psychologically, if you don't give your inner Dionysus some respect, he will drive you crazy with obsessions that tear you apart. Think about that the next time your inflated rogue ego wants to crowd out celebration with to-do lists. Compare Lycurgus with Gus, the domineering and ever-controlling patriarch in the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Gus eventually learns to get his big fat ego out of the way so that his daughter can flourish and marry the man of her dreams. The celebration goes on and they all live happily ever after. Carl Jung's Realignment of the Ego. This was the essence of Carl Jung's method of psychotherapy. See what aspects of the personality the inflated ego has been blocking draw those parts out, and enlist the healthy ego in supporting those parts rather than repressing them. One way that Jung described the human psyche was as comprised of Personality 1 and Personality 2. Personality 1 is practical but lacks meaning. It values status and security more than growth and evolution. Personality 2 embraces the meaning inherent in becoming as whole a person as possible. His goal was to have Personality 1 in service to Personality 2, which is not always so easy. So, the issue is not necessarily that your ego is conceited because it thinks it's better than other egos. The problem is that it thinks it's better than all the other parts of you, the ones that would rather live with spontaneity, joys, and ease rather than with order, self-control, and fastidiousness. Recovering Other Parts Each of us is different, and I can't say what parts of you your ego may be repressing, but for many people with obsessive-compulsive tendencies, these repressed parts are the ones that value passion more than perfectionism, wonder more than work, and connection more than castration, not to mention play more than production. No matter how overused the concept of the inner child has become, it still denotes something very useful especially to compulsives who have typically locked the child in the trunk as it drives off with no meaningful destination in mind. Worse, the inflated rogue ego can pose as if it carries meaning and works for justice, but really only carries empty righteousness and fights for security. It likes to think of itself as a hero, but has forgotten what the real quest is for. It may take on the mantle of the artist, but uses that mantle to prove worth, forgetting that you originally wanted to express truth and beauty. It may use a caregiver role, originally entered into out of genuine love, to control the opinions of others, proving that you are morally good. You and your inflated rogue ego. My hope is that this post will help you to develop a healthy and conscious relationship between you and your ego, That little conjunction, and, is meant to first differentiate and then to connect these parts of you that have been driven so far apart. Maybe I should have titled it, you and your ego should go to the playground together and have some fun. Don't confuse ego with I, and don't let it chart the destination of your ship. You can find transcripts of this podcast with links to research sources and lots more at the Healthy Compulsive blog, www.thehealthycompulsive.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the Healthy Compulsive podcast, hit that subscribe button. And for a thorough guide to cultivating the positive potential of the compulsive personality, find my book on Amazon, The Healthy Compulsive, Healing Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder and Taking the Wheel of the Driven Personality. And if you find any of these helpful, let others know by leaving a review. Till next time, enjoy the drive.